What the fuck is up, world? Bialy Tlaltik Pak. We back in this bitch. Another grito. Another podcast for that ass. Coming about a week and some change off of our previous podcast um, on the occult and all that kind of shit, right? <laughs> and um, I left off on that podcast talking about how I initially wanted to talk about the Koyoshwaki. Uh, consciousness of Gloria Anzaldúa, which is what I'm going to pick up on with here today, okay? Uh, but before we get into that, let's get quick some of the formalities out of the way. If you haven't already, follow your boy on the gram, OG underscore IceNice13, and perhaps, perhaps even the backup, OG.IceNice13, because ain't shit changed but the swisher, homie. You know the gram is still coming for your boy. The technocracy is still coming for your boy, Okay. So, um, you know, if the day comes where they just kick me off my OG underscore account, you can always find me on the OG dot or on the hashtag hood philosophy as always. Okay, well, not as always. I haven't used hashtags in a while, but if I was to have to start over again, you know, you find your boy right back up in that bitch. Okay. Anyways, um, yeah, let's just get into it, dog. I'm trying to keep this one a little bit short today, given that the last podcast was a little bit long, but you know, we'll just, we'll just, we'll, just, we'll play it by ear. See how this shit goes. Okay. Um, or your Shwaki consciousness, homeboy. The you know what's crazy about what's crazy about the whole thing in general, right? Uh, is it isn't really even her most well-known work, okay? Gloria Anzaldúa, as I've said before. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna like devote at one point or another. You have to. You just as as a Chicano person, as a Chicanx person, you have to focus on Anzaldúa because she is such just a fucking massive figurehead in our you know in, in, in our in our community that to do to not do so, you it's like you're kind of doing a disservice. You know what I'm saying? So inevitably, the time will come where I sit down and I devote like a extensive, an extensive amount of you know detail and attention to Anzaldúa, right? Um, but I actually kind of stumbled upon this Goyal Chihuahua consciousness on accident. She's actually got a new book coming out, right? It's something about from darkness to light. I can't remember off the top of my head, right? But uh, this is she's gonna. It's gonna have her fir- her most formal treatment of the Goyal Chihuahua consciousness. Now it's not gonna be her because she died a long time ago, okay, like 15, 20 years ago. Um, it's actually going to be about one of her writing partners that pieced together a lot of her work. And, you know, it's going to be based off her experience with Anzaldúa. Most of it is written by Anzaldúa because, like I said in the previous podcast, and if I didn't, I'll reiterate. If I did, I'll reiterate. If I didn't, for the first time here, she spent the majority of her career developing this one central idea. And it went through various, various different revisions. And what we're going to get in this uh, forthcoming book is ultimately like the, the final revision it's gonna, that was pieced together by, you know, this lady that, you know, was her writing partner at one point. So, um, yeah, dog, it's not even her most fucking well-known work. And in my opinion, it's perhaps one of her most refined, again, in the sense that she spent most of her career writing and rewriting this fucking theory, dog, in excruciating, excruciating detail, right? She's most known, obviously, for like the borderlands, the barbed wires and all that kind of shit, right? Uh, the, the tongue, the evil tongue type, uh, idea. She's known for a lot of different shit, dog, but this Goyoshwaki consciousness is perhaps going to be one of her most, it's going to be, it's going to breathe new light into her, uh, breathe new breath into her career. And so many more people are going to come to know her because of it. Right now. Um, yeah. Oh, I guess like Yorona is also a pretty good one. Okay. Like she's got an idea. She's got some, uh, some talks on the Yorona, which are pretty dope. Right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Yorona is like a, uh, old Mexican Mexica folklore tale. Okay. That is said to be, you know, the story of a, an indigenous Mexican woman who, you know, drowned her children because of her Spaniard lover. And now she's, you know, you know, she cries every day, hence La Llorona for their, uh, for their, for, she longs for them, right? And the, the, the myth is supposed to be like to terrify young children not to stay out late at night because La Llorona will get you, think, mistaking you for her children. 
Um, but a more interesting take that I personally believe in more recently that was re- uh, revealed to me is that it's actually the collective longing of the indigenous Mexican people as a whole, uh, longing to return to our indigenous roots and our indigenous motherland, knowing that the patriarchal figure of the fucking Spaniard, and this is coming from, uh, uh, what's this dude's name? Oh, it's actually right here, Octavio Paz kind of, this is a more Octavio Paz kind of reading, right? Where we're longing for this paternal figure that it just, it's just not there, right? So we, you know, we as the Mexica people, we're like left weeping essentially, uh, and, and, and left to relate to this, you know, beaten figure, if you will, of like not just the, the, the Christ figure, but also of the Guadalupe. Okay. Because of it, she's become the new mother, if you will, of the Mexica people. And that's why it's so deeply embedded in our culture where despite the fact that all the obvious intentions point that, you know, the Guadalupe is realistically nothing more than the sacred maze, motherfuckers still hold on to her so deeply because of just how, powerful the the appeal was when we were left spiritually spiritually homeless uh, upon the initial conquest okay so um all of this ties into this Goyashwaki consciousness because it's, again it's based itself on a mexica story okay and this mexica story is of the moon divinity Goyashwaki okay and Goyashwaki is a daughter of the moon divinity itself which is Coatlicue okay and Coatlicue in mexica a uh, 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 legend She's the mother of the moon, the stars, and she is the patron deity of the Mexica, bro. Okay. Or rather of the, of the Mexica. She is the mother of the patron deity of the Mexica, Huitzilipochtli. Okay. Uh, I know Tezcatli, or not Tezcatli Poca. I'm, is my boy. Okay. But he's definitely not one of the more famous ones. Uh, the most famous Mexica, uh, uh, patron or rather deity alone is, uh, I should say divinity, because deity implies some sort of deified status, which they're not gods. They're not gods, okay? They're just sacred clusters of divinities, which, uh, you know, we've talked about before previously in the episode of, you know, talking about Tlaloc and, you know, the rain and all that kind of shit, right? The wind, uh, clouds, uh, actual water falling from the sky. That's that's a, that's a cluster of, you know, a, a familiar pattern, which, you know, was come to be known as the divinity of Tlaloc, okay? Or rather, yeah, the divinity of Tlaloc, okay? So the most sacred, perhaps, or the most well-known, I should say, not the most sacred, uh, Mexica de- uh, deity is obviously Quetzalcoatl, okay? And that's because it's just, that's the serpent god. Dog. Everyone fucking knows this one, okay? But the actual patron deity of the Mexica Tenoca people was Huitzilipochtli, okay? And Huitzilipochtli, surprise, surprise, was the divinity of war, okay? Uh, Huitzilipochtli was the divinity of the sun, and most importantly, Huitzilipochtli was the divinity of human sacrifice. Okay, something we've talked about at length at this podcast, right? Um, anyway, so, you know, Coatlicue is, she's the mother of Huitzilipochtli, which would make Coyoshuacli his sister. Okay. And the central dis- gist of this story is that, you know, uh, Coatlicue, while she is, you know, pregnant with Huitzilipochtli, she becomes aware of the impending attack uh, 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 that is being planned by Goyol Shuaki, uh, Goyol Shuaki, okay? And the reason is because Goyol Shuaki believes that her mother has sullied her name by be- becoming impregnated with her brother Tlaloc, okay? Or rather, Huitzilipochtli. I got Tlaloc on the mind quite clearly, right? It's been raining like a motherfucker still in El Paso, so it does not surprise me. Anyways, uh, so this Goyol Shuaki, the story goes that she becomes enraged because she feels as though her mother has become defiled by becoming impregnated by Huitzilipochtli, okay? So in order to get revenge, she plots to kill Coatlicue, the, the divinity of the moon and the, the mother of the stars and the moon, okay? But uh, Coatlicue, uh, she becomes aware of the impending attack and miraculously she gives birth, according to this Nahuatl legend, to a full-grown Huitzilipochtli, okay? Who in turn saves his mother by beheading his sister, right? <laughs> 
and throwing her head into the sky so as to, you know, he she, he throws the head into the sky so that it could be nearer to her mother, where it in turn becomes the moon itself, right? So the moon, according to this Nahuatl legend, is the head of Goyo Shawaki, right? And the reason it's in the air is because Weekly Bokli did it as a simple, as a kind gesture to his mother that she would never be too far apart from his now deceased, from her now deceased daughter that died at the hands of Huitzli Buckley because again, she was out to kill her mother because she felt, you know, some type of way about her getting impregnated by, uh, with Huitzli Buckley, okay? Now, as for the Coyolchowaki body, uh, Huitzli Buckley is said to have thrown it down a sacred mountain, the sacred mountain known as Coetepet, okay? Where it is dismembered into a thousand pieces. Uh, for those of you who are interested, it's spelled Coetepet. C-O-A-T-E-P-E-T-L. Okay, do some more research on the sacred mountain of Coetepet, right? Um, and this is where Coetzli throws the body of, you know, Coyol uh, 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 uh down, okay? And in the process of stumbling down this fucking mountainside, her remains are reimagined, okay, into a giant stone. And uh, this giant stone itself is filled with her dismembered body parts as she, you know, obviously was torn apart, uh, uh, sliding down the mountain or whatever, right? And uh, her, 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 her remains are gathered and they're placed into this giant stone, they're reimagined into this giant stone, which in turn serves as what Anzaldúa is going to refer to as light in the darkness, okay? Now, this is where the Koyoshuaki parts, the Koyoshuaki consciousness parts of, of Anzaldúa away from the Mexica legend, okay? The, the Mexica story, more specifically, I should be stating, Okay. Uh, and she, she gives it this, uh, you know, she got next twist of light in the darkness, right? And specifically what Antal Duo is going to tell us is she wants to depict it as this complex holism, if you will. This complex holism that simultaneously acknowledges the fragmentation and the promise of transformative change, right? Or more specifically, transformative healing. So she's going to say like, yes, I understand full well that being torn apart is a very fucking painful process. The process, the process of fragmentation is very painful. But at the same time, it also offers us the promise of transformative healing. And that's something that we just simply cannot lose sight of, Antalduo tells us, okay? And she's going to use this Goyal Shwaki uh, to represent both this psychic and creative process of both tearing apart and pulling together, right? She's going to use it as fragmentation of imperfection, of incompletion, right? Of unfulfilled promise, right? And as well as integration, completeness, and wholeness. So it serves this Goyol Shuwaki uh, story as this, it's a very complex, uh, it serves as a very complex, you know, idea that she's going to try to advance to us that is both simultaneously being ripped apart, but pieced back together, okay? And we'll find that this idea of being ripped apart and, you know, pieced back together is pretty common, not just in this Andalduan philosophy, but in Mexica, Mexican even, I would say, in some instances, definitely positive in one particular story of La Llorona, right? Uh, but also in Chicanx culture in general, right? This idea of this, you know, of this constant ripping, ripping apart and piecing back together, ripping apart and piecing back together, right? Um... So when it comes to Andaldua specifically, she's going to use this to develop this complex healing process, right? It's this complex healing process and theory of writing that she's going to refer to, again, as the Koyolshuaki consciousness, right? The process specifically of putting Koyolshuaki back together, right? So uh, what she means by that is that this is both a process of emotional, phys psychical work, rather, 
uh, the, the psychical, emotional work of dismemberment, of splitting the body, mind, spirit, and soul. But it's also the creative work of, again, putting all the pieces back together in a new form. There's probably this is dope meme floating around the gram. I'm sure you've seen it, right? It was pretty, it's pretty prominent. But it's about a, a, a practice that's allegedly, I say allegedly because I, I don't know anything about Japanese culture, but it's a, allegedly prominent in Japanese culture of a broken artifact that's pieced together using like some gold of some sort, rather right? like glue that's been infused with like gold color or actual gold, okay, in the past maybe. However it fucking goes, the idea is that these broken objects are made beautiful uh, by the, the by the process of piecing them back together with the you know the gold as the uh, as the with piecing them holding them together and that's basically the same gist that Koyo Chwaki consciousness is serving for Anzaldua okay learning to find beauty and not just the ripping and tearing apart of the body mind spirit and soul but also in the creative process of putting all those pieces back together in an entirely new form right changes coming through my shadow basic idea it's like you know these recurring themes and tropes very jungian interpretation if you ask me well that's me that's my interpretation on Anzal Dua. i'm not trying to project onto her i'm saying myself personally right anyways Anzal Dua herself she's going to tell us that this is a partially unconscious work that is done in the night it's done in the night dog by the light of the moon hence you know the whole goatly you impair uh, uh uh influence and all that kind of shit right and she's going to call this a labor of revisioning and remembering, okay? Now, it's not remembering as in recalling, but it's, it's, it's that remembering where it's divided from the re and the membering part. So you can't put, like, don't lose sight of the idea of membering like, as in dismembering, but also remembering, but also the fucking, the, 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 the simultaneous wordplay inherent here where in, in, in doing so, we're in, you know, remembering a dismembered a body that there is a collective memory that is also being pieced back and recalled at the same time okay so this process this labor if you will that's done underneath the moonlight uh as Andal Dua tells us okay this is a major challenge that she lays forth one that is essentially asking for us to imagine an entirely new aesthetics dog an entirely new aesthetics that is embodied if you will in the artistic practices that synthesize our identity formation with cultural change and movement along multiple realities, right? So um, this is like a very fancy academic way of saying some pretty, you know, pretty prominent ideas that are currently occurring in the Chicanais community and chief among which is, you know, the appeal to indigeneity and the challenge of other peoples that state that, you know, Chicanais peoples themselves aren't indigenous, that we are Nothing more than mestizos or mestizas, if you will, which obviously I firmly fucking reject uh, for multiple, multiple reasons, as we've discussed in the past. But one that Andal Duar herself rejected as well. And in this case, then, this idea of this Goyoshuaki uh, <laughs> consciousness, right? It's, 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 it's picking up in that same vein, right? The challenge here is that specifically, she's not asking us to fucking bastardize or new age hipsterize if you will, our Mexica indigenous roots. She's asking us to create something completely fucking new and different. Like, yes, you can you can use, you can remember the dismembered pieces of our collective past, but in the process of doing so, we're going to create we're going to create something new, something completely different, and something that is still equally as beautiful, right? This is, you know, hearkening back to some more ideas that we've discussed in the, in the podcast, namely in this particular sense that culture is not static, homeboy. It's a dynamic force, right? So what uh, Anzal Dua is stating then is that it, the challenge is then among, it's upon us, if you will, to pick up these dismembered pieces, 
piece them back together, remember them, right? And then, you know, remember them at the same time to fucking, you know, envision this entirely new aesthetics that is completely different from the one that we've inherited in this Western fucking world, right? An aesthetics that is embodied, right? In artistic practices. You'll find these aesthetics in the artistic practices. Like for me personally, the the the, the creation of this podcast and everything that follows from it, whether it be the actual video and the and the lecture itself or the podcast itself or the little clips that I spice up on splice up on the gram, that is an artistic practice, okay? And in that artistic practice is embodied the fucking entirely new aesthetics that I personally feel I have fucking remembered from our indigenous Mexica past. You know what I'm saying? And I'm using it to fucking share in the hopes of not only synthesizing our identity, the identity here of our Shikanex uh, uh, being, but also of our indigenous Nahua past, where we're synthesizing the two, okay? But also in a way that is, you know, bringing about cultural change, dog, and movement along multiple realities. Now, the multiple realities part is simple. It's simply stating that, yo, this Mexica shit is not the only one, dog. There's so many more out there that we must be conscious and aware of and openly embrace. You know what I'm saying? It's not a competition, homeboy. It's like understanding that there's multiple realities and that we navigate through them depending on the fucking context in which we find ourselves in. You know what I mean? And that we could pay respect and homage even without fucking trampling upon these multiple realities and realize that, yo, people then collectively as a whole to, you know, amplify it to the macro scale, understanding that we as a collective human fucking species are, are ourselves dismembered, Right. Again, this is a large part of the clusterfuck mindfuck of the Western colonial psyop to get us to believe that we are somehow different from not only one another, but perhaps most importantly from the the quote unquote superior fucking race, the white peoples. You know what I mean? They wanted to put themselves at the top of the fucking pyramid and the rest of us at the bottom. But in so doing, they also wanted to stratify us in order to ensure that we never unified under a collective front in order to fucking overthrow them from the top of the pyramid. You know what I'm saying? So that's what she's talking about when she says we're fucking, it's a cultural, it's, we're, we're advocating for a cultural change that moves along multiple realities. Because again, the reality of a Chicanx person is entirely different than that of a fucking black person living in America, of an Asian person living in America, and so on. You know what I mean? But uh, at, at a fundamental level, it is still the same fucking experience because it's the human experience. So the goal then is to fucking synthesize all this together in this new aesthetic to remember, if you will, to bring together the collective human species as a whole once more, right? This is, again, obviously influenced by the monistic ideas of the Nahuatl people, where there is no separation, there is only monism, okay? So a lot of, uh, there's a lot of shit going on with this fucking idea is what I'm trying to tell you, okay? So basically, again, what it boils down to is just a fancy academic way of saying that more specifically as Chicanx people, we must work to piece back together the multitudes, if you will, of our being through what she calls this creative process, right? Uh, the Koyo, the Koyo Shuwaki consciousness, this creative process, right? That will enable us to better navigate the world that we're living in. Because right now we're kind of operating at a deficit. And the deficit is that we are basically a fucking peoples with cultural fucking amnesia. We don't know where the fuck we came from because it was withheld from us intentionally by the fucking colonialist bastards who had no interest in providing us with this information because they understood that doing so was detrimental to their fucking overall objective of remaining atop of the pyramid that they placed themselves on, right? You know what I'm saying? So what she's stating then is that as Chicanx people, it is incumbent upon us if we, you know, uh, if the desire is that this fucking new world, this better world for us, that we must work to remember, to piece back together the multitudes of our being, okay? 
through, again, this creative process, this Koyoshiwaki consciousness that will enable us to better navigate the world that we're living in, where we can actually come to the table and have more to offer, right, than what we've historically, at least in this country, been told that we are. A bunch of fucking margaritas sipping, taco-inventing motherfuckers that just like to fucking labor and work hard. Like, nah, dog, we're so much more than that. We're fucking scientists. We're, we're fucking astronomers. We're, you know, we're fucking warrior scholars. We're all types of different shit, and that's just part of our cultural... Uh, 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 history, legacy. You know what I mean? Now, I state specifically Chicanex in this case because that's exactly, or rather Chicanas, uh, Chicanas because that's exactly what Anzaldúa was, okay? And much of her work is centered around the desire to make sense and come to terms with this fact, right? What's the fact? It's simple, yo. She was a brown lesbian growing up in South Texas, okay? She herself was the, uh, she's the descendant of indigenous people who had their land stolen by the fucking Texas Rangers, bro, right? And, you know, in the process, they were turned Mexican because of that, where they established their borders, right? Um, and for Anzaldúa, despite growing up in that environment, much of her work is essentially a journey back home to her indigenous roots via her chicanidad, bro, okay? And detailing her, detailing, chronicling the obstacles, namely hispanidad, okay, along the way of her doing so. Now, on some more real shit, though, this holds true for all people, dog, irrespective of ethnicity. Uh, what, what holds true? It's simple, yo, the quote-unquote return home, right? Or the quote-unquote return to innocence, right? This is a fucking prominent theme, bro, in philosophy from, you know, the Nawa sacred process of Tlazotleot, which we talked about in the previous episode that I'm going to talk about in another future episode, right? Um, to Nietzsche's transformation of the spirit and body, yo, the idea of rebirth, right? piecing oneself back together, ritual death, and so on. This is a foundational element in many philosophies across time and space, bro. It's not just fucking unique to Andaldua or Nietzsche. Right? It's fucking, this spans the collective human experience, right? Um, so yeah, obviously Andaldua is no different. All she's trying to do is evoke healing and transformation. Now, what separates her from the previously mentioned is that she's doing so using theories that stimulate, create, and all around facilitate radical, physical, psychic change in herself, right? And that is one that is informed, obviously, by her indigenous fucking roots, okay? And she's going to, you know, challenge us as the readers, uh, you know, to, to, to pick up this fucking challenge, okay? She's going to stay like, this is a challenge that I'm extending to you as well as the reader, right? Uh, in order to create, if you will the worlds in which we exist in or to reimagine rather the worlds in which we exist in and, you know, aspire to. So uh, with this Goyol Chihuahua consciousness, then she's basically, again, she's challenging us to as Chica next people, dog. Now she's telling us, she's challenging us to be the healing of the world. Okay. Essentially she wants us to be la sombra y el sueño, dog, the sleep, the shade and the sleep. Okay. By way of what she refers to as desconocimientos. Okay. And desconocimientos, basically, it's the, uh, uh, or uh, desconocimiento, sorry, words, okay? Desconocimiento in Spanish just means like unknowing, right? So she's challenging us to, you know, to fucking, you know, to heal the world via this process of unknowing, right? The, specifically, what it boils, what, how it breaks down to is like the path of conocimiento, so the path of knowing, right? The only way you get to, to, uh, to knowing is by going through unknowing. Okay, uh, or coming to knowing specifically from unknowing, and this process itself of the desconocimiento, right, of coming to knowing from unknowing. She's going to refer to this, bro, as this spiritual activism. Okay, now again, I got to emphasize that this is not spiritual 
in the Christian sense, okay? And if you want to limit it into this Western world, I would state that perhaps the closest fucking, uh, uh, the closest idea that represents it is, again, in the Nietzschean sense, which is not surprising because as I've talked about before in a previous episode of this podcast, I personally believe Nietzsche was something of a little Nawa himself. He fucking was one of the few Western thinkers to be able to break through the fucking, the rigors and the fucking boxed in uh, thinking of the Western cultural world and see through to other worlds and specifically that of the Nawa. Okay. Um, so it, when she talks about the fucking path of spiritual activism, if you need like a reference point, I would say most closely in the Western world to Nietzsche. All right. If you're unfamiliar with her. Right. Um, <laughs> and she tells us, okay, that this fucking, this, this, this spiritual activism, right. It serves as like a, a bridge of history, right. And this bridge of history is going to help us deal with all the recurring political aesthetic issues that we are still experiencing here to this day. Remember, she died like 20 years ago, bro. But much of the issues that she was philosophizing back when she was alive, we're still experiencing them today. There are these political aesthetic issues such as colonialism, nationalism, complicity, cultural trauma, racism, sexism, and the like. Like she's telling us that this uh, 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 spiritual activism will be the bridge between where we want to be, where we are currently, this fucking world that I just explained of colonialism, nationalism, etc., to where we want to be, this fucking new, better world, essentially, that is, you know, that has left that in the past. Again, this is fucking Nietzschean philosophy, bro. Ubermensch, fucking overcoming man is a bridge to be overcome, if you want to, you know, if you want to understand it in that way. But it's also so much more because unlike the Ubermensch that is, you know, just focused on the individual, this is a collective challenge to... Not just, you know, not, at this point, I'll extend it beyond just the Shikainex people, but to all people collectively. You know what I'm saying? So it's basically like she's telling us, yo, we are on the cusp of a grand awakening, homie, from which we as humanity will collectively awake from our state of fallenness, if you will, and become less of what we have been and more of what we can be instead. Right now. To do so, to do so, she's going to challenge us and she's going to call for what she refers to as this ethics of interconnectivity, okay? Uh, the ethics of interconnectivity is basically this act of, quote-unquote, reaching through the wounds, if you will. And these wounds, they can be physical wounds, like actual physical wounds, right? They could be psychic wounds, cultural, and or even spiritual uh, 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 wounds, okay? And she's challenging us to reach through these wounds to connect with others. Now, I've said this before in the past, but it definitely bears repeating here through this particular fucking part of the podcast is that me personally, one of the biggest fucking defects that I've seen in the social justice movement is that most of the people who fashion themselves as a social justice warrior realistically are nothing more than spiteful fucking creatures like Nietzsche tells us who want nothing more but to be the ones in power themselves. They have no interest in fucking learning from the past mistakes so much as they have a vested interest in gaining fucking revenge for everything that our ancestors were put through, which I understand completely. And in fact, at one point, I perhaps was even just like those kind of individuals when I was 13, okay? But I grew past that shit because I learned and I realized that, yo, racism is racism irrespective of who the one is being fucking hated upon. Right now, it just happens to be fucking brown and black folks historically in, the, in this Western world. But it could be any person moving forward into the future 5,000 years from now. You know what I mean? And racism will be bad, just as bad then as it is now, right? And uh, one of the things then that I've emphasized when it comes to this then is that we are stronger than that. Like racism, fucking, you know, discriminating people on the basis of their gender, sexual orientation, uh, color of their skin, spiritual beliefs and all that kind of shit. That's fucking base level chimp shit, bro. That's fucking 
pathetic, weak human nonsense, okay? And, you know, this is what Nietzsche's fucking talking about with his Ubermensch, and it's obviously an idea that I pick up with full well. Like, that shit is beneath me, bro. And in fact, I would state even more importantly that because of the fucking uh, 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 historic trauma that my ancestors endured and survived, we have become stronger because of that. So strong now where we're not fucking, we shouldn't at least be fucking beholden to the same spiteful fucking base level blase animal instincts that fucking led to this whole Western world in the first place. We're trying to, we're trying to leave the Western world behind. We're trying to leave the world of colonialism, the legacy of colonialism and death and destruction right behind. And we're not going to be able to do that if we insist on importing that fucking same world with us to the new one. You know what I'm saying? So this is kind of what she's talking about, dog. This is an important step here in this Anzaldu and philosophy where she's challenging us to be like, yo, I know this shit hurts. I know this shit sucks. It's a fucking physical, psychic, cultural, and even spiritual wound that we've endured as, you know, indigenous Chicanx peoples. But in order to fucking better envision the world in which we desire, it's just we have to. We have to reach through the wounds. Okay, in order to connect with others. Now, this is an incredible, this is a critically, critically important step here on Anzaldúa's behalf, bro. Because she's not just asking us to forget. Fuck no, she's not asking us to forget, dog. In fact, she herself is very conscious of the historical trauma we have endured and speaks openly herself of the anger that she experiences because of it, right? But at the same time, dog, she challenges us. She challenges to, she challenges us to move through and beyond both the trauma and rage, right, that we experience and transform that shit. Dog. She tells us to transform that shit into actual social justice. Because again, there is no justice, no social justice to be had if we're going to be fucking importing the same system or perpetuating the same system that led to the fucking discrimination of peoples like ourselves in this country. Like, that's not social justice, dog. That's just fucking... That's just, that's just relativism, okay, at this point. There's no truth behind that. It's just a relative claim that is ultimately beholden to nothing more than, you know, the numbers of the peoples in power. But she's challenging us for so much more. She wants actual fucking change. And the only way that she feels as though we can fucking make actual change is to go beyond the trauma and rage and transform that shit again into actual social justice. Not that fake, woke, bitch-ass social justice of microaggressions, dog. Like, fucking, that's nonsense, Right? She's talking about the real balls deep decolonial shadow work, yo, of social justice that forces us. It forces us to confront all of our broken pieces, yo, and create something new. Namely, namely, the person necessary to make the change we all wish to see in this world that we desire. Again, this is not a new idea. This is fucking something that the most enlightened of individuals who have lived through the last 500 years of the Western world always come through, okay? Be the change you wish to see in the world. It's fucking that simple, dog. How many of us want fucking the world to change? Everyone. How many of us want to fucking do, be the, uh, do the change necessary within us to make that happen? Very fucking few of us. And this is a challenge that fucking she ultimately arrives at with the fucking Goyo Shuaki consciousness. She's telling us like, it's a fucking, it's, it's a mess, dog. It's not going to be easy. It's going to require you to do some fucking balls deep shadow work that is going to be fucking painful, okay? It's not going to be easy. You're going to engage in so much fucking tra trauma, both ancestral and personal, okay? In the process of doing so. But ultimately, you're, it, it, it will be for the better because in reaching through these wounds, you're going to, and you know, being able to connect with others, you're going to be able to gain the strength necessary to build the fucking new world that we all collectively desire, by reaching through these fucking wounds, we're able to connect with other people and realize that irrespective of one's ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, etc., 
that they are fundamentally at the end of the day the same as you and I. We're all fucking people, the species. This is the whole remembering process, right? We are piecing back together. We are remembering the collective human species in order to move past all the fucking obstacles that have held us back as a collect as, as humans for the past 500 years in order to fucking build the fucking world necessary, a, a better world that we that we that we imagine. You know what I'm saying? So for Andaldua, okay, for Andaldua, this can be achieved via what she refers to as the flights of imagination, or more specifically, the process of rereading and rewriting realities by way of the imagination, right? So for Anzaldúa, yo, the imagination, it plays a critical epistemic political tool, okay, that envisions the Goyal-Shuaki consciousness as this form of shamanic, quote-unquote, dismemberment, right? Obviously, ritual death and dismemberment is huge in shamanic cultures. I hope to talk about it someday, okay? I will talk about it someday, right? Um, but in this, she's picking up on that idea, the idea of ritual death by dismemberment, right? Uh, so in this particular sense, it's this epistemic political tool that envisions this Goyochuaki consciousness as a form of shamanic dismemberment that utilizes the role of art, right? It utilizes the role of art as a transformational power that materializes the imagination's desire, okay? So that's just a really fancy way of saying, okay, that the process of tearing ourselves apart, okay, it is a fucking, a creative process, right? It's this, that uses art. Uh, it, it's a creative process that's going to use art as this transformational power that changes the world, okay? And in changing it, it transforms, and transforming it and changing it, it helps materialize our ultimate uh, desire, the, the ultimate desire of the imagination. And that is a better world. It's always boiled down to a better world. It's that simple, right? And thus the ensuing role and uh, necessary and recreating this reality, like recreating, not recreating as in reproducing, but like uh, creating a new, okay, this reality that we imagine, that we envision. I say we, but maybe you're not one of those persons. Maybe you like the world that we're living in, okay? In that case, you'd be completely against this. But people like myself, we fuck with this idea heavily of fucking, you know, imagining a better world, but also materializing it as well, right? Now, notice again, this isn't fucking recreating in the form of a simulacra type copy, right? But rather, again, recreating as in creating anew. I cannot emphasize that enough, right? Because obviously this process exists in multiple interlay in a multiple interlayered world, dog, that can be discovered, it can be co-created, and so on, right? And ultimately then, this is also just, just telling, challenging us again to remember that we're not the only ones, yo. There's multiple readings of reality out there, and we can't fucking lose sight of that because to do so would only further serve to dismember the unity that the Goyoshiwaki consciousness is ultimately striving for, right? For. Um, and to do so would itself be a fucking colonial practice, and that's not what she wants. She wants specifically the decolonization of reality. Now, I must emphasize, dog, especially with everything that's happened with fucking Owen Thomas. Y'all might have forgotten. I know I can't fucking forget, dog. Hopefully you don't either, right? But because of that, it's imperative to know that this spiritual activism, this ain't some new age hipster shit, homeboy, okay? It's not this naive or watered down version of religion that fucking, uh, you know, or some passing trend even that does nothing more than help fucking facilitate one's escape from the material conditions of reality. Fuck no, dog. The tired, you know, what I mean by this is that fucking tired ass fucking Mars quote about how religion is the opiate of the masses. Fuck no, that's not what Andal Dua is saying. Again, 
this spiritual activism, yo, it's a completely fucking, it, it's a, it's a totalizing endeavor. One that embodies that fucking, uh, it's a totalizing, uh, 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 endeavor that is completely embodied, meaning you must perform it with your fucking mind, body, and soul. Like there's just no way around it. You can't just speak this. You got to actually fucking live this, right? And doing so is of the highest political endeavor because again, inherent in doing so implies the recreation of a world that is radically different from the one that is currently the cause of so much fucking needless pain and death and suffering around the world. Okay. Um, second, perhaps the most important thing is that, you know, the importance of the role that art plays, not just in postmodern postmodernism in general, but in establishing the legitimacy of Chicanx peoples, bro, Chicanx peoples. Again, as I mentioned in the low riding through Turtle Island episode of the podcast, right? Now, at the risk of sounding like, oh, sounding rather, like some pretentious fucking Andy Warhol fanboy turd, you know, art truly is transformative, bro. It truly is. It's transformative. It, it's a fucking, even, it's a disruptive even process. Again, the act of fucking tearing apart and creating a new, right? It's both transformative and disruptive, bro. Bro, it's this process that can simultaneously help ground but also shake us in our reality. So what I mean by ground is like it grounds us as a people. We see our art and our influence everywhere, but it also fucking shakes our reality. It makes us realize like, yo, everything you believe to be true about reality, that might not necessarily be the case. And these fucking cultural productions of art are what fucking shake us into this, out of this state of fallenness, essentially, if you will. Now, one thing that I have found as I've, uh, you know, been embarked, if you will, on this fucking journey of, you know, not just a podcast, but my Instagram account, because the two are intimately fucking related. I assure you, for those of us, for those of you who don't fucking follow your boy, right? Uh, what are you waiting for? Seriously. <laughs> uh, I talk all the time about fucking shadow work, dog, doing that balls deep shadow work. But I think one thing that I don't haven't really focused on is, and you know, because partly it's not really my specialty per se. I, 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 you know, I have my little bit of research, but there are fucking, you know, actual experts out there that can fucking walk you through this process. So I, I kind of feel like a little bit of a fraud, if you will, talking about it. Um, but more importantly, because I like, I personally focus a lot of it from the philosophical perspective, because I am of the complete fucking belief that beyond art, philosophy itself even is this fucking transformative force that can alter the world that we're living in, that can fundamentally alter ourselves. Right. And, um, that's kind of a been, that was kind of a focus, if you will, for the, 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 the impetus to start this podcast, uh, one of the many. Okay. And I realized that I hadn't really dropped many of them, right? So as I finished this particular episode, I did want to leave you all uh, briefly because uh, I'll, you know, I'll come back and I'll circle back around to them and I'll elaborate in detail, right? Uh, but four, if you will, four of the major movements in philosophy that I personally feel are the most, have been at least to me, beneficial when it comes to engaging in this fucking shadow work that I'm always talking about, dog, all right? And uh, the first one, for those of you who would like to research it on your own, is what's referred to as value realism, Okay. Now, this value realism, dog, it's this fucking branch of philosophy that emerged from the phenomenological investigations of the experience of value, okay? So when you hear like phenomenology and philosophy, it's basically just a fancy way of saying like first person experience, like the, the experience of you, the, 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 you know, you experiencing something like that's from, from a phenomenological perspective. That's what I'm saying. Like phenomenologically speaking, I am the one that is delivering this podcast, right? And phenomenologically speaking, you are the one that is, you know, listening to this podcast. So when I say it's phenomenologically, what I'm saying is like, try to imagine what it's like for me, you know, recording this bitch and what I, me personally imagining what it'd be like for you to be hearing this motherfucker, okay? So in terms of value realism, then what they're saying is that it, you know, it emerges from the phenomenological investigation. Like you personally have to fucking investigate the experience 
of value. Like you have to learn the experience and learn the, the, uh, of value, okay? And more specifically, in doing so, you have to pay a specific focus to the relationship between emotions and value, okay? The role that emotions play in not only the things that we value, but the role that value plays in determining the, our emotions, our emotional response, okay? The next one is uh, intersubjectivity theories of ethics, okay? Uh, now, these theories themselves, they're rooted in theories of recognition, understanding, you know, like I talked about before, the light of me recognizes the light of you type shit. Recognizing that we are the same fundamental fucking uh, uh, energy, if you will, Theo, all that kind of shit, right? And this suggests was an entirely new ethical dimension that emerges from, you know, the interweaved nature of human reciprocity. The realization like, yo, we're in this bitch together, dog. And these intersubjectivity theories are asking us to fucking see ourselves not as these isolated fucking individuals living on an island, but as nodes, if you will, in this grander matrices of all of reality, okay? And learning to understand and appreciate the role that we play in fucking perpetuating this in form of reciprocity. Okay. Uh, another one is also what is referred to as the personal transformation theories of ethics. Okay. And basically what these are telling us is to, they, they're challenging, uh, challenging us to elaborate and, you know, refine these self-realization approaches to ourselves. Okay. What basically this means is that they're seeking to ground ethics in the analysis of the human condition. Right. And then of course there's last and not least one that I've mentioned, I've talked about at length. Okay, but I've never really named it, but I've talked about it at length in this podcast, and that is anti-morality, right? And uh, basically what anti-morality is, is they're referred to as creative response theories, okay? Now, these creative response theories, or this anti-morality specifically, it develops from Nietzsche's harsh critique of morality, bro, while attempting to ground ethics in fidelity to specific, right, uh, 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 developing cultural events. And this, you know, between all these four movements, I feel... That's kind of what Anzaldúa is doing with her fucking work on the Koyuloshwaki consciousness. She's fucking integrating all four of these massive fucking theories of ethics, okay, into one fucking collective challenge. This is why it's understandable that she spent so much of her fucking life working and reworking these fucking ideas because ultimately it's like, the, again, it's this challenge for us that, you know, to piece together these four ethical theories uh, with her philosophy, you know, uh, to, you know, provide a ground for ethics that differs traditionally uh, from the emphasis on either our consequences or our duties, if you will. So what she's saying is that, yo, we have this ethical imperative and the ethical imperative is to create this new fucking better world because the one we're living in right now is fucking shit, dog. Look around. It's collapsing upon itself, okay? And a new one must be born, okay? A new one will be born one way or another, whether it's fucking for the better or for the worse. That boils down ultimately always to the same shit, right? The amount of energy that is directed to either particular fucking side. Um, for Anzaldúa, the goal ultimate, well, the goal would be to fucking direct as much energy to the recreation, the remembering process of a new, better world so that we don't collapse by default or by willingness uh, into this fucking even worse world of the one we're currently living in, which unfortunately seems to be a little bit of the fucking trajectory we're heading in. When you focus on mass media, for instance, it always wants to fucking skull fuck us with ideas of how evil and terrible the world is. However, when I personally log on to Insta Instagram, for instance, social media in general, Maybe it's an echo chamber, but when I log into this motherfucker, all I see is a bunch of motherfuckers like myself who are, you know, fucking committed to reimagining a new, better world that we're living in. And a process in that, a part of that specifically, I should say, is going to be the philosophical component because it's one thing to fucking act out of fucking, you know, just blind action. 
But it's a complete different thing to act out of informed action. And this is, you know, when I'm talking about like some of the impetus for why I started the podcast, this is it, dog. This is it. The understanding that the fucking information has historically been safeguarded. And if you realistically, me, I'm talking to myself, want to be part of the fucking recreation process of this new world that we desire, you fucking simply have to fucking, you know, share the information that you have in order to fucking, you know, facilitate that because, you know, it, that's how we get rid of the fucking blind action and move into the informed action element by people like myself who have studied this shit who begin to fucking share it. Not in a university behind a paywall anymore, but for fucking free, dog, for anybody who wants to listen to this motherfucker, okay? Anyone who can stomach my fucking boring ass Ben Stein voice for fucking, you know, an hour on end at a time, right? And that process, obviously, just, just to tie it all up and together is the fucking creative process that I was talking about earlier uh, for myself personally, but it's also the, 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 the spiritual process, dog, because, you know, in doing so, I feel as though I'm fucking, you know, contributing, if you will, my my part, I'm contributing my part, which is uh, this fucking spiritual, this being uh, within me that's going to fucking be, that allows me to sleep at night comfortably knowing that I'm not necessarily wasting entirely my time here on this slippery earth of plastic back, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's also a, 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 psych, a, a psychical one in the sense that it alleviates going back to where I ended the last fucking episode of the podcast, the, the, the mental fucking uh, confusion that I experience when I'm not fucking doing what I'm supposed to be doing. When I'm focused on this shit, dog, the fucking the psychical uh, trauma that I have, if you will, it's fucking healed, even if just temporarily because I'm doing the shit that I'm supposed to be doing, which again, itself collapses into the idea that I preached in the previous episode of the podcast of you know, how the Nawa organized all their lives and shit around fucking specific actions, which working was undoubtedly one of them. But it's not work as we've become fucking uh, 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 familiar with in this Western world where we trade in our fucking time for money, right? Where we trade in our labor for money. It's not that kind of work, dog. It's again, the work necessary to remember, to piece oneself together, okay? And um, yeah, like this, I'm telling you, bro, this is such a fucking giant, just giant ethical, or rather just giant idea that comprises so many fucking uh, components that to fucking discuss it all in one podcast would be something of a fucking miracle, okay? (laughs) So yeah, rather than try to continue to do so, you already know the fucking move, right? You already know the move. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and end this bitch here, right? And uh, instead of rushing through to get through these fucking four ethical theories that I fucking mentioned earlier, I'll just, you know, end this podcast here for today and we'll pick up on our next episode detailing exactly that. So until next time, I hope you all have a great rest of your day and I'll see you then. Peace.